Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Podcast. I'm Jen Rogers. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I am joined by Melody Hom with Yahoo Finance. Hi. Hi. And we're going to be talking about what home buyers are looking for right now in the market, and especially what we're going to call them millennials. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. I know you might not want to be called millennials all the time, but they are now making up, is this right, the biggest group of home buyers? Yeah, 42%. Nearly half of the current home buyers right now are people in their 20s and 30s. And is that just because they got to the age that they are supposed to buy a house? Is there some other thing in here that I'm missing? Yeah, so we've seen so many trend stories, I think, over the past decade that young people don't want to buy homes. They want to keep renting forever in their apartments in the heart of the city. And I think it's just a later stage. It's happening a bit later, but that desire to actually have a family and move into a place where there's a little more space is a very real phenomenon for any generation. It's just happening a little bit more, you know, at a slowed pace. And as people are marrying a bit later than in previous generations, we're seeing that as well. Do we think that's because of the financial crisis at all? Or is this just the way millennials are? I think a lot of it is tied to the financial crisis. And in light of actually September 11th, um, I heard a really interesting anecdote that every generation is defined by an event. And 9-11 was the defining event for the millennial generation. And I know it sounds really tragic, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that life, and not to get all philosophical Mm -hmm. here, but life can be very fleeting. And so a lot of people don't think about possessions. They don't think about buying that huge home with a white picket fence with three car garages because that can go go away in an instant. And we see with these hurricanes that that is true. And as much as, you know, you might have insurance, ultimately all of that stuff can be gone in the snap of a finger. So millennials, I think, have this mindset not to overgeneralize, but that they want something that's high quality and maybe a bit more catered to their personalized taste rather than a generic massive home in a master plan community. Now, are you a suburban girl? Where did you grow up? So I am the product of suburbia, but always close to New York City. So I was born in New York, actually in Queens, and then raised in Jersey about 30 minutes from the city. And then we moved to Connecticut an hour from the city. So I've always been in the proximity of the Big Apple, but it has I've always had a yard. So I think that's a perk. Okay, so having outdoor space, right? This seems to be something that's driving a lot of the uh, choices that developers are making to bring millennials back to the suburbs, right? Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, there's this term called agrihoods, and (laughs) agrihoods, agrihoods, and it's essentially where developers are taking advantage of plots of land and utilizing it for walking paths, community gardens, olive groves. I mean, the number of ways that they're manipulating lands that used to be golf courses or previously construction sites um, and retail centers to really take advantage of the nature options that they want to offer young home buyers. Because, you know, the average piece of fruit or vegetable travels about 1,500 miles to get to your plate. And I think more and more young people are realizing they want to have something local and have something nearby that they can eat farm to table. Um, So farm to table is not a novel concept, but I think it has become mainstream now. So talk to me a little bit more about this farm to table. So 
a developer is using land that's there, creating housing stock around it. Do these millennial homebuyers work in the field or they're tended by other people? How does it actually uh, come to fruition that I will have some delicious uh, meal <laughs> on my table? Pun intended, fruition. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a certain part of it is that you're getting your hands dirty. So as I mentioned, there's an olive grove and residents are going to be able to actually get get their own olive oil. And it's going to be branded as the Mirador or the community's olive oil brand. And so there is a certain sense of, okay, I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm getting, you know, I'm actually touching the dirt and being a part of the creation that is going to become the product. Um, but, you know, 35% of people who own homes actually have their own garden. And whether that's one plant, whether that's, you know, a couple basil plants or, you know, some tomatoes, we have people in our office who have um, their own gardens. I think that is becoming increasingly, there's more appetite for that, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> now, as somebody that lives in New York City, I am not one of the 30% of people that has a garden, but I would love to have one. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's a lot of, you know, these people that are in the cities that want to move out. So you want to go to an agri-hood, but doesn't that take you further away from where you're working? Yeah. So I think one of the innovations that we're talking about a lot and yet we haven't seen it actually happening and we wonder when will this come about is self-driving cars. And I recently wrote another piece about how self-driving cars will really help the elderly, but it will also help with people's commute times. And even if you're in the car for an hour, you'll be able to be productive and you'll be able to either catch up on the news, catch up on sleep or start working and respond to emails. And so this increased possibility and yeah, this might not be happening right now, but I think in the next decade, as we see them start to come to market, people will feel more comfortable living an hour outside of the city. And as more people do that, those areas will become amenitized and there will be more of these offerings that you currently only see in the true burbs. Um, and I think the fact that suburbs are becoming more urban in general, and there is this phenomenon that suburbs are offering you know, huge plazas that have nature offerings and yoga st studios and all these other classes. But in addition to all of that, they have backyards. And they're cheaper. And they are cheaper. Is that and really what's what, what is really driving it, I guess? Is it that you want to have space at an affordable price or is it that you just you need more space and you're kind of sick of the city and you want to have this backyard and all these amenities? I think it's twofold. I think as household formation is happening, it's just not tenable to be able to live in a one bedroom apartment with three people or four people. And so just out of necessity, they are moving out. But then as more people are moving out, developers, I've spoken to a bunch. There's one guy named Kobe Karp, who's an architect as well as a um, interior designer. And he says that he's been working with a lot of different uh, properties, whether they're hotels, but also residential buildings. And his main finding is people don't care so much about large spaces. It's offering yeah, sufficient amount of living room, but also a central garden and a yoga studio and maybe a chef's kitchen that might not be private to them, but it can be used in a communal setting. And, you know, last year I checked out We Live, which is WeWork's communal living situation. And it's not the cheapest. There's one on Wall Street downtown and there's one in D.C. 
And overall, it's a great facility. And I think a lot of people were critical because it does seem like a dorm for grownups. But I think more and more this generation is more comfortable with that, that there is not that much privacy and they won't have tons of walk-in closets. Right. But it's okay. They're already re- used to Airbnb. And exactly. And in sharing a room space next to them. <laughs> or, or having their car yeah. uh, lent out and doing lift line. Uh, when I think of big cities that have attracted a lot of young people, San Francisco, New York, Portland, Seattle, Austin, where are developers placing these new agri-hoods or yoga studio hoods, mm-hmm. like these these urban, suburban areas. So Seattle is a great example, and we know Amazon is headquartered there, and the number of homes actually being built. In, in previous, I think, generations, it was always in Bellevue, Washington, or the outskirts to a certain extent, but now more and more there are apartment buildings and um, master plan communities that are being forced into downtown Seattle. And I think I I talked about this even with downtown Denver as well, as the coastal elites, as we call Mm -hmm. them, sort of encroach on these really cool, new, vibrant cities that are great for living. Um, Unfortunately, the people in those communities are being pushed out and they can no longer afford to live in the downtown areas. So I actually spoke with like a 26-year-old Denverite who said that she moved back home to the burbs with her mom because she can't afford to live in downtown Denver anymore. So as developers see these opportunities, it's great for people who are moving from SF and New York to work for a cool startup or to work for Amazon. But ultimately, the cost of living will, of course, become higher as there is more pent-up demand. So then... Either the people, the locals are getting pushed out or even people that are moving there think, hey, maybe this is a good deal to live outside. How far out of the urban centers are the developers looking? Yeah, we're talking about like 60 to 100 miles. That's far. That is quite far. And even as I was driving around Jersey yesterday, my family now lives back in Jersey. And I was like, what do they do? do for work because there are so many of these communities that are not really accessible to the city. Like it would take at least an hour or an hour and 15 minutes and never mind traffic through the Lincoln Tunnel to actually get into the city. And I think there are burgeoning opportunities, whether it is tech hubs and as people find that it's really not cost effective to build especially if you're a startup, to build a headquarters in a place like New York City or SF, they will go to the outskirts to a certain extent. Um, Yeah, a lot of people have been trying to package it, whether it's Silicon Beach in L.A. or whether it's Silicon Silicon Prairie. Yeah, the Silicon Silicon Prairie. That's what it is. Yeah, in Oklahoma. I mean, there are like eight Silicon Prairies in the South. And so Alley here. Yeah, to a certain extent, I don't think that's actually happening at the moment. But as there are more, I don't know, as people become more open-minded and realize that they can't be set in their metropolitan ways, I think increasingly this will continue to happen. So are these places making brand new communities or are they remaking old suburban communities? Mm -hmm. So like, are they taking a a sort of a hollowed out uh, suburban community that kind of fell out of favor or are they just going here's a lot of land, let's put our own planned community. Yeah, both. Um, There's one community outside of Philly near the King of Prussia area, and it's really interesting. John Burns Real Estate Consulting is a really smart, insightful publication, and one of the research reports points out that 
the hottest restaurant in the Philly metro area is a chain restaurant in King of Prussia. Really? What and is it? And it used to be, it's a tavern. It's a tavern called City Tavern. Huh. And they sell beers, they sell burgers, and it used to be a French bistro in Rittenhouse Square. You know, the very bougie, right. elite, yeah. and uh, high quality, sort of like a per se of New York City. And it just shows where the money is going. And so this new community in King of Prussia, it used to just be, it was buildable land, but the developer acquired it a couple years ago and they started building from there. Um, But then you also see, like I mentioned earlier, golf courses being reconverted because they realize that there unfortunately aren't that many golfers anymore. Even though Malady's a very good golfer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm decent. Um, I, I swing here and there. But I think overall, they're their developers are able to repurpose and repackage existing plots of land, but also build from the ground up with this sort of new philosophy. And are these places, these are a first-time purchase? Mm-hmm. First-time home buyers. Will they yep. stay in these houses for the life of their marriage and their kids getting older? Or are they looking at this as like, this is a five-year place and then I'm going someplace else? So that's interesting because I think as home prices have appreciated, it's really hard because even, you know, anecdotally, I look at my parents' home and occasionally I look it up on Zillow and I'm like, oh, yo, the prices went up that much. My mom's like, well, you do know everywhere else is also going up that much. So if we were to sell, where would we go? And I'm like, that is actually a very good point. So in this current macroeconomic climate, I think first-time home buyers are sticking around. And actually, Home Depot and Lowe's have been a huge have been huge beneficiaries of this because people are doing DIY. Mm-hmm. People are doing remodeling and they're adding units and they're trying to fix up a home. You know, we have a personal finance column here called Fix My Finances. A lot of people, first time home buyers, are buying 100 year old homes and they're fixing it up from scratch and buying new scaffolding and trying to do things on their own because they realize there's a lot of opportunity to be unlocked and they can't afford to have a pristine, perfect home yet. And so I would say maybe a decade, people will stick around for um, eight to 10 years and then try to move up. But for the time being, unfortunately, we're not that uh, flush. Not that flush yet. (laughs) Yet. Just yet. Have you heard of the term Henry's? I haven't. I love it. What is it? It's called high earners, not rich yet. Oh, that's great. So it's like a lot of professional people like doctors and lawyers who maybe have some medical loans and have a lot of debt maybe. But that's how SoFi first started, um, the startup, because they first started refinancing loans for people who are Henry's. Um, And I think more and more these Henry's are flooding into the market. I like that a lot. Henry's. I'm going to start using that. Uh, One thing uh, you get in the city that it seems that uh, millennials are looking for outside is this walkability, Mm -hmm. like to be able to get around. Now, you talked about the self-driving cars and sort of these killer commutes that we're seeing, which is the opposite, I guess, of just being able to to walk someplace. Why is the walkability so important? Walkability is really important, I think, for people to feel mobile and to not feel so constrained. And if you, even if you have, if you're living in a remote area, to feel as though you have access to everything yeah, around what you. What do they want to be able to walk to, I guess? They want to be able to walk to the supermarket. They want to be able to walk to, yeah, Amazon's new Whole Foods and to go to their gym and to go to their, you know, everything at the touch of their fingertips. And especially looking at a city like Miami, 
um, more and more of these developers are teaming up with public transportation services and making sure that they're on the route mm. of a bus path. So you're, and it's transit-oriented transit really from oriented. the beginning. Exactly. And so they're building it with that in mind rather than as an afterthought. And a lot of these companies that I've spoken with, they actually have a, a public transit monitor in their mail rooms. So making it very seamless that pick up your mail, look at when the bus is coming for your commute. When you come home, you can pop back out to go to the restaurant. And yeah, it might seem like okay, are these actually the high earners that are going to be using public transit? But think about in New York City. We, the subway is oftentimes easier to take than the taxi. Michael because Bloomberg takes the subway. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. And so I think more and more in any sort of metropolitan area or in the outskirts, they're going to try to um, accommodate using shuttles. And as self-driving comes about, um, allow people to really have it at their fingertips, their transit. Is this bad in any way for the cities? I read that uh, in this Time Magazine article that cities have reached peak millennial <laughs> because the largest millennial cohort passed age 25 in 2015. So now with the age and they have the means or they're moving out. Are we going to see some sort of hollowing out in cities again, do you think? I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. I think at this moment, there's still so much interest. And as people are continuing to go to colleges and after graduating from colleges, wanting to work in the city, even if that means they have zero savings, that will continue to exist. As I look at Gen Z, the next generation, um, I don't foresee them immediately after graduating from college choosing to move to Iowa or choosing to move to a place that's immediately affordable. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't wave that red flag right now. Um, I do think there will be a shift as suburbs become more and more attractive to previously urbanite folks. So Melody, as somebody who's talked to dozens of developers and has covered these all around the country, Hypothetically, if you could move to one of these developments, and you don't have to be, you don't have to leave your job at Yahoo Finance. We'll get you here, helicopter plane, whatever. Oh, really? Now, yes, yes. nice. I'm, I'm approving this. I just want which one do you think is the coolest? Mm. There was one. So I spoke with uh, Ed McMahon, a fellow at the Urban Land Institute, and he told me about a bunch of cool ones. There was one in Hawaii. That was <laughs> sounds good. I guess I got to up the travel me. budget. <laughs> there was one in Hawaii that has basically a bunch of coconut groves, and there are young folks as well as some middle-aged folks who are living there, and it's completely accessible. It's almost like nature trails in a very lush and beautiful garden atmosphere, um, and it's in Honolulu. And so I think more and more paradise can be your home, and. I, I was looking at the price point. No, I wasn't actually planning to move, but for research purposes. And they're all an, under a million dollars. And that's not necessarily affordable by any means. But this isn't like only the creme de la creme can even think about this. This is something that if you get the right mortgage, if you have the right amount of loans, if you can, you know, be frugal for a few years, this is something that people can aspire to pursue. And aside from all the... Um trails and being in nature. Is there one perk that you've seen people have that you think, oh, I'd really love that? 
Well, I have a family dog. I sometimes pet sit. Um, Tovi is his name. Shout out. And there are pet spas now. And so instead of being able to, you know, forcing yourself to bring them to uh, a groomer and leaving them there or a kettle, um, now they have in-house pet spas that they take care of your dog either per day or for a couple weeks at a time. Um, and they pamper them. Uh, in the same way that you can bring them uh, down the street in New York City. So pet spas, I would say, is are something that seem a bit ridiculous, but at the same time so practical. Pet spa. <laughs> I love it. I want to have a pet spa and live in Hawaii in this place. Um, let's move there. Let's move. Let's We're go going together right now. Melody Hom from Yahoo Finance, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Yahoo Finance podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.